Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the May 2023 Home Education Conference held in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. I have dedicated about 15 years of my life really more than that, but we'll just say 15, to mentoring and to helping people hone their own mentoring skills. And I've learned a thing or two, and this presentation is kind of like the greatest hits. I put all my like stuff that I think makes all the difference in the world, right? And I'm not going to be taking any questions or comments during this presentation just because there's no way I'm even going to get through it all. So please forgive me for that. I prefer, you know, dialoguing, but I am available after if you want to if you want to chat, okay? So one of the most important things to start with is to understand the roles, okay? You have the mentor and you have the mentee or the student, and each of them have their own role, okay? And when we take on more than what our role is, then it causes problems. So it's good to just start with that idea that not everything is your responsibility. Some of the responsibility lays on your kids, okay? So the mentor is the guide. We have a responsibility to be as inspiring as we can. And yes, there are days when we're not inspiring at all. Like that's just the reality of it, right? But we need to, we need to up our inspiring game when we can. We need to teach, provide accountability, and help our ment mentees overcome their roadblocks. So we're gonna talk more about kind of all those things, but that's it. Like that's your part in the relationship. Obviously that doesn't include everything with parenting, but in terms of being a mentor to your child, okay? So the child's responsibility is to be teachable, okay? They have to want to learn. And that is not always easy because sometimes they just don't want to learn, right? But that's, that's actually their responsibility. All it, you know, Louis Lamar said all education is self-education. You can provide exposure, you can provide engaging science experiments, but if the kid does not want to learn, does not want to self-educate, then nothing is gonna come of it besides a mess in your kitchen, right? So fostering that, very, very important. Giving ownership to your kids, very, very important. They also have the role, part of their role is to try, to, get, to give things effort, right? You can't make somebody give effort. You can inspire them and hope they give effort, but you can't make them. And the final thing is to accept correction. Um, in some instances, the correction is, is uh, specific to a skill or ability, and that would is something we would call coaching. That's the environment of coaching. And so we provide, you know, okay, you've tried it. Now try it this way and see if it works better, okay? That's a coaching relationship with, with your mentee. Now the nice thing about this is you can ask yourself these questions. Was I prepared? Did I do my part? Was I inspiring? Am I innocent of words or behaviors that I need to correct or ask forgiveness of? Okay? I call that the mentor matrix. 
If you can answer yes to all of those questions and there's failure, then the failure is the lesson, okay? Sometimes that's the only way a student will learn is, is through failure. And that's okay. And we need to teach that it's okay. We need to model that it's okay. So that's, that's the roles that we're dealing with. And I wanted to talk more about the inspiring part. I developed this continuum for you to measure at any given moment, you can measure how inspiring you are, okay? So it's like a, a way to self-assess. Haven't you found that your homeschooling journey has a lot of self-assessment going on with it, right? So this is a, a measuring stick that you can use to self-assess. The word inspire comes from the Latin word inspirar, which actually translates into to breathe life into another. I love that. It like fills me with hope, right? So I took all the words with that SPIR base and I put them into a continuum that you can kind of mark yourself on. You know, we just had a, a math lesson. Where was I in that, in that um, continuum? So obviously if we're inspiring, we saw the spark come on, we know that we gave them something to you know, to, to work towards and they were excited about it. And that happens and those moments are magical. But sometimes, and I'm gonna say a lot of times, we're in respire, which is breathing in and out. Okay, so every day, keeping the balls in the air, continuing on, just, we're just respiring, right? A lot of times they're gonna be like that. It's the reality of the fact that you are homeschooling 24-7, right? We can't be inspiring every moment. We can strive for it, but we just can't do it all the time. Like it's not physically possible, right? So respire is where we may spend a lot of time and let's own it, okay? We did, we did our school activity and it went fine and everybody's still alive and nobody hates each other. It's, it was a respire day, okay? <laughs> And then the next one is suspire. That's not a word that we use very much in the English language, but it means a, a long groan or sigh. <sighs> Have you ever finished school, you know, and gone, oh, that was so fun. <laughs> okay, that, that is when you can mark yourself at suspire and you can start asking yourself some of the questions. What could I do differently next time, right? <clears throat> And then the last one, you don't want to go here. That's expire. It kind of means you're dead. Okay, it's, it's your last breath. And let me just give you an example of what that might look like in your homeschool journey. It might be your kid throwing the book on the table and going, I hate math and I hate you. That was an expiring moment. Okay. So you seeing what I'm doing here? I'm, sh I'm giving you a measure a way for you to assess and say, you know, how did that really go? And by the way, you can do this with more than homeschooling. You go on a date with your husband, your wife. How was that date? Or are we just continuing on with our life, doing our Costco shopping date? That's a respire date, okay? <laughs> you know, so yeah. All right. So one of the things that inspiring does is it brings with it a lot of guilt. 
if we want to be inspiring, and I hope you do, you know, I hope you see that as part of your role. We want to be inspiring. It's, it's very easy to feel inadequate, okay? And so there's this like tightrope that you're walking. And um, you may have heard the Thomas Jefferson education tenet, I don't know if, what you want to call it, inspire, not require. And I think that's a false dichotomy. I think it really should be inspire and know when to require. You're the parent, you're still the parent. There are times in which, you know, you need to see the situation as it is, know the, the thing that your child actually needs, and lovingly require. Okay, what happens is we tend to go there too much. So to swing the pendulum, we get the false dichotomy, inspire, not require. And I'm like, no, no, no when to require. Require when it's necessary and when inspiring doesn't work, right? Sometimes we have to um, step in as a, as a parent and go, wow, this would be a lot easier to send my kids to public school, you know? But since we're not doing that for whatever reason, you know, there's going to be things that are required in our home. You would never just inspire your children to brush their teeth. You would never do that because you have to pay the dental bills, right? So anyway, it's the same thing with, with our educational experiences. Sometimes requiring's um, necessary when inspiring doesn't work or when you uh, don't have the energy to inspire. As a mentor, this also applies to everything in life, I guess we're just going to say that all day long. If you get caught up in the outcomes, then all of a sudden, mentoring isn't about the student, it's about you, right? What are people going to think if my 12-year-old is just learning to read? That happened with my oldest, okay? What are people going to think? Then I'm worrying about the outcome more than I'm worrying about how to meet the needs of this kid right in front of me, right? If you design and, and do a, a, a science experiment and the kids are like, eh, that was boring, and you let that get to you, then the mentoring is no longer mentoring it. It's really just become about you and your feelings. So sometimes, you know, if you've done what you can and you show up and you're enthusiastic and, you, and it just flops, right? Like it doesn't go as you had hoped, your children's reaction wasn't what it is hoped. It's time to separate yourself and your ego and allow the child to have the experience that they have. Sometimes there's a lesson happening that you don't even know right like you didn't plan to teach in this case it might be what does character look like when there's failure right because you're in a position to set that example so if you let go of outcomes first of all you're going to live longer because you're not going to waste all your life life force energy on what your mother-in-law thinks about your kids right and you're also going to have a better relationship with your kids because they feel your disappointment they're not stupid, you know. They always know when we've, when we've, uh, when we're when we're disappointed or or we have a negative reaction to them. 
So somebody just yesterday asked me, if you were going to teach your community the most important thing about being a parent in, um, in, in this class, you know, teaching a class to other people's children, what would that one thing be? Well, this is it. And a mentor meeting is a formal or informal time when you get together with one child. It can be both parents, it can be one parent, but, but there's only one child. So you're focusing on that kid. If you, like me, have you know just buckets of children, <laughs> it gives them a little bit of time where they know you're, you're in their corner and, and things can be discussed and feelings can come up and problems can arise and you can talk about them without the, the sibling you know, interaction that is always happening every day all the time, right? So I, I would do these on Sunday afternoons and just sort of schedule about half an hour per kid. Because even my, even my young kids, they wanted that half an hour alone with me or with me and my husband. And so we just, you know, made it a thing where that's how we spent Sunday afternoons was, you know, um, having mentor meetings with one after the next. That may not be what works for you. Some kids do not like that formal kind of situation. And so, you know, going on a walk is a great place for a mentor meeting too. <laughs> Laying on the trampoline, looking at the stars is another great place to do a mentor meeting. In fact, I'm gonna give you a little hint. Um, if you have sons, they do better shoulder to shoulder. Girls tend to do better face to face, but your sons will talk to you more if you go on a walk or a drive with them and they're not having to look at your beautiful face. <laughs> It's too much emotion, is what it is. Our, our faces are giving off emotional cues, right? So they just do better. I mean, just generally speaking, you want to work on math with your son, he's going to have more success if you sit next to him. Mentor meetings are so powerful, and I'm just going to tell you one quick story. And I'm sorry if you heard it already, but this is my sixth session, so that's just how it goes. So my oldest was 17, and all of my all my peers were complaining about teenage rebellion. And I said, I, 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 don't, I don't know how to tell you. I don't, I don't have that going on. You know, I haven't seen a single rebellious moment in this 17 year old. And so I finally, like the suspense got to me. And I said, so Adam, don't tell him his name is Adam, okay? Just like, we'll keep it between us. <laughs> I said, Adam, why haven't you rebelled? And he said, I want to be successful in my life. And I know you know more than I do. And if I don't listen to you, that's just stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was a shocking answer, right? And I know it was because I had weekly mentor meetings with him. He knew that I was on his team, that I wanted him to be successful, and that there was you know, opportunity there for our relationship to be one of trust and I know you'll help me with whatever life throws me. He's almost 32, he still asks my advice because we have that relationship. You know, and I, I do attribute it to, to having regular mentor meetings. So, so, so important. It's important in your relationship building, it's a time to ask them if something's bothering them. It's important in their in their goal setting because you can ask them, you know, well, what did you accomplish last week? 
what would you like to accomplish this week? And, and help them with time management and all the abilities that you know make life work. So very, very important. Um, yeah, I've got more in the handout. So if, if we have a perfect life and our children are perfect and everything's going perfectly, um, you, can, you can forget this slide, okay? But if you run into any barriers, it is the solution to all the things because it helps you identify what it is you're dealing with. Somebody takes a picture of the slide. Thank you. <laughs> all right, so this comes from um, Leadership Education Mentoring Institute, as does almost everything that I do. Um, vision, mission, abilities, skills, and knowledge. We call them the scholar ladders. And it's what education actually is. It's like, we're not trying to do a scope and sequence. We're not trying to hit the state standards. I mean, maybe you are, I don't know. I didn't care about them. Um, you know, those conveyor belt ways of learning that have been developed to mass educate workers are not real education. How many of you got out of high school and went, well, I have no life skills? <laughs> you know, how many of you got out of high school and said, I don't know how to use a planner or whatever, right? So these are the things that um, we, we can find answers to. So anytime you hit a roadblock with one of your children, you ask yourself, which area is it? Is he lacking in vision? Does he not have a sense of his important mission in life? Is he missing a, a, an ability? Like, let's say he can't manage his time. He's smart, but he can't get to the things. Then you need to, you need to identify that and teach the, the kinds of things that will help him be an organized and, and timely person. Is he missing a skill? So you, you assigned a book. And he's like, yeah, it was stupid. You can ask yourself, mm, I'm wondering if you had the reading comprehension <laughs> to actually understand that because that book will change your life. I wouldn't have assigned it if it wasn't going to change your life. So let's talk about what you understood from that book. It may be a reading skill that made it stupid to him, you know? So you have to ask yourself, like, is, is it a skill problem? Does he not really understand the reading that he's doing? Or is it a knowledge problem? Is he missing some kind of knowledge that would have helped him be successful in the task? So these scholar ladders are um, a fantastic way to solve problems, actually family problems. You know, you know you have some trial coming up, some difficulty, you can ask yourself, what do I need to give them in their vision for us as a family, the strength that we need? Um, you know, what vision do we need? How does this fit into our family mission? You know, are there abilities that, that, we, sh that we should address, that we should work on? You know, grit is an ability. It's not in any of your curricula, right? So these are, these are things you can ask yourself to you know, sort of delineate out what it is that you need to teach, what it is that you need to show as an example, and that sort of thing. So very, very, very powerful, um, helps you to identify what the next step is. Now before you teach anything at all, um, 
not that you're going to have time to do this with every child, with every activity, but certainly all the ones that, that really matter to you. Identify what your no feel do is. You can do this for scripture study. You know, what, when we're done with this chapter, what do I want them to know? Like, are there facts? Are there things about that scripture passage that they need to understand? Maybe the history behind it, right? There may be actual things they need to know. What do I want them to feel? Well, I want them to feel a desire to repent, to change. If you have that in your mind when you're planning how you're going to share the thing, it makes all the difference in the world. And then what do I want them to do? Either right now, as we're discussing it as a family, or later when they go to their room, or tomorrow, or when they get married, right? What are my outcomes? It's basically what are my outcomes in those, in those three different areas. And what I found by doing a no-field do is that the what could have been a rote experience where I was following the lesson or I was, you know, just giving out information. The no field do when I have the, the kids I'm teaching in mind, you know, whether they're mine or in a classroom, I, I think about them and what do they need. I may be teaching about the American Revolution, a battle in the American Revolution. But I may have a sense, and I believe that we can be inspired about these things, I may have a sense that they need to understand and feel unity. Well, that's got nothing to do with American history, except it does, you know, right? Like, I may need to teach that battle in a way that brings out the feeling of unity, that gives them a desire to go and be unified right so I can tell you that it it makes doing a no field do makes crystal clear to you before you even begin what the outcomes you're trying to get or have so that you can um, so that you can possibly achieve them if you just go with what the curriculum says right well the today we're supposed to learn this and don't do this you know five minute prep work it takes five minutes to do a no field do most of the time um, without doing that you lose potential power uh, for a life-changing inspiring breathe life into your children um, opportunity so that's uh, a definite secret weapon so there are three ways to teach something okay show tell and do or actually I would say show do and tell the um, the telling is what we most of us grew up with we were told things in like a lecture format right and it is always less powerful than either you showing them you giving the example of it or you having them do it and participate like if I had my druthers we'd all be doing you know some kind of a simulation or activity that brings these lessons home it's kind of not the format for it um, but having moving things into a into a do gives them a chance to try and fail and practice and grow you know what I mean so whenever possible involve them 
and doing something. They're going to be much more likely to remember what you taught and also to have ownership of it and feel like it's something that they actually, you know, participated in. So showing is, is also great. Telling, I mean, you already know about telling. I don't have to, I don't have to demonstrate what that is, but showing is, is, is modeling and modeling is oftentimes very, very powerful. They remember our example. So if you have a kid that's struggling with writing, does she see you writing? You know, if you have a kid that's struggling with math, do you show what it looks like to be an adult using math in your everyday life, right? Ter terribly powerful uh, way of, of transferring knowledge. So we have a responsibility to know our children and to recognize what their genius is, what their talents and and how they um, make the world, you know, like their unique contribution to the world. It's not always easy because you're in the throes of the, you know, dirty towels on the floor and the, and the you know, prepping three meals a day. Why do they have to eat so much? <laughs> How much more homeschooling would happen if they didn't have to eat, right? Or if we could just, you know, feed them occasionally, but no, it's constant. <laughs> So anyway, taking the time, especially before a mentor meeting and getting to know, like just think through your child that's about to come in and talk to you. You know, what's something that is fantastic about them that is so unique, right? Because what it does is it puts you in the frame of mind of a mentor who is considering your child in a holistic way because like let's be real it's not just about how much math they know right we we are we are constantly projecting a message to our children and if we're taking the time to really know them I've, I've listed a bunch of different personality typing up here there's obviously more there's so much more but slowly kind of going through some of these, it's gonna help you know yourself better. And it's also gonna help you know how to reach your child. So for instance, I had a daughter that I learned very quickly. She was very young when I learned that she was a yellow. If you know the color code, that means they're motivated by fun. She was a yellow blue. She was motivated by fun and relationships. So, you know, we could go to Disneyland and it didn't matter if there weren't friends there. You know, it had to be friends. So like we could dig, you know, manure with friends and that would be preferable to, you know, going to Disneyland with her family, okay? So I could get offended by that I am still offended by that. <laughs> I, could, I could be offended by that or I could harness it, right? Like those are the two choices that you have. So I'm the queen of making a class into a party. I love that. I love to gather other kids. I love to, you know, make, make the, the learning into a party. So that's how I dealt with her. Now my, my two 
oldest are boys, introverts, couldn't care less about any of that. You know, so that wasn't the way to, to meet them. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you have to look at each individual kid. The more you know about their, their love language, their learning um, styles, you know, their, their personality. If you're, if you're into Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, I love the Enneagram, then you're just going to be better able to connect. Because first of all, you're not going to take everything personally, right? Because that's how they are. You know, these things tend to be sort of hardwired and there's not much you can do about changing, you know, like a, a highly willed child is not going to change just because you try to crush them. It's just not going to happen. So they come, they come kind of pre-wired and the more, the better we understand it, um, the better that we, that we uh, are able to meet them where they are. And I just want to point out this, um, this, idea of applying the 80-20 rule. If you can manage it, and believe me, I, I hate coming to these conferences. It's so overwhelming to get all these marching orders. So I, I feel for you the end of the third day, you guys are probably like, whatever. <laughs> um, if you can manage it, work 80% towards their strengths, both in your conversations and in the kind of assignments that you give, the kind of work that you have them do, and work 20% to their weaknesses, because we tend to flip that. We tend to be freaking out about their weaknesses and um, discounting their strengths. And, and so if we, can, if we can have that in our mind, it's a simple little equation, right? Did I spend 80% of my day working towards her strength, or, or did I spend 80% of, of the day working, you know, working towards her weakness? Because I don't know about you, but many, many people have gone through a schooling system that felt punitive to their actual, like, you know, learning disability or their, or their behavior idiosyncrasies. In homeschooling, we're, we have a tremendous amount of freedom to flip the script and go, yeah, you know, let's work on helping you overcome this thing but let's work more on, wow, you're really a genius at music or dance or sports or whatever. And, and that 80-20 rule, rule is, is a great way to do that. Just give yourself a, a number. So I'm gonna talk for a few minutes about asking great questions because that's the foundation of a great mentor. There's no way in the you know, few minutes that we'll have together that I can you know, totally school you on this but if you think about the Socratic method, um, the reason why it's so powerful is because you are eliciting the thoughts. Instead of telling them what to think, you're eliciting the thoughts of the, of the person that you're dialoguing with. And so it's one of the questions I get most often from people is, how do you ask those questions? You know, I'm like, so I'm just going to go through a couple of things that I hope will, you know, spark something for you and help you to, to feel more confident in, in that. And like I said, I have this handout that, that can give you more information as well. So one of the things that's very valuable to do is teach your children to, to learn how to make connections between things. Because that's, that's where the epiphanies are. You know, a lot of the times the epiphany is, is connecting like, 
oh, this data point in history to this invention in science. You know, I don't know about you, but I felt like my 18 years in the schools, you know, when you consider college and graduate school, I just, my mother was an early preschool kind of a girl. Um, I went to a lot of schools, but I, I was missing so many of those connections. So we can grow that from a very young age. You know, if I put a fork on the table and I ask you questions like, how can we relate this fork to history? How can we relate it to, to family history? How can we relate it to music? You'll be surprised at how quickly your children become geniuses. Like the things they come up with are so funny. In fact, you guys look so tired, I'm gonna tell you a story. <laughs> so I was doing this with a class that my daughter, who is, let me just tell you, a very righteous young woman, okay? So I'm just gonna preface the story with that little bit of information. And I put a brick on the table and I said to these teens, all right, so I want you to make a list of all the things you can think of to use one brick for, and I said it cannot be violent. Because there's some obvious, right? <laughs> like, we don't want to be violent here. So she wasn't violent exactly. <laughs> One of the things that she came up with in this game was you could use it to cover the blood. Oh. <laughs> it's not exactly violent, right? Like, it's skirting the edges. Anyway, she's now a returned missionary, you know, married. She's a fine, young, upstanding young person and not a psychopath on any level. But it cracked me up, you know? It was like, yeah, you made a connection. Anyway, making connections is, is a very, very powerful brain exercise that will serve them the rest of their life for this reason. They start to learn the interconnectedness of all things instead of seeing things as like this is history this is science you know just all partitioned into these specialties even within a specialty there's a hundred more specialties right like you talk to a doctor that's a specialty in this and they have no idea what to do about your broken toe or whatever you're like mm, maybe too much specialization so we want to be generalists we want to be able to make these connections and and understand them so the next thing is, is asking compare and contrast questions. So the example I have up here, I know most of you can't read it. What are the similarities and differences between George Washington and Gandhi? So you having, you know, you've learned about these two people from history. You're having a discussion. You ask them, like, how were they? How are they similar? You know, one was the uh, yeah, contrasting, right? One of one of them was a general of an army and went out and destroyed. The other was a general of peace. They both had tremendous impact in completely different ways. One of them used muskets, the other one used spinning wheels. Like those are conversations because then you could start to delve deeper and ask, well, which, which do you think is better? Which one had the outcome that you think is most admirable, right? So they can explore those kinds of, of questions through a contrast and uh, compare and contrast. So another is like if you've read a book, you can tie a character in the book to some component of human nature. You know, why is Pride and Prejudice called Pride and Prejudice, right? Well, we take one character, Mr. Darcy. Why do you think 
he's part of this book? How does he, you know, show pride, show prejudice? How, what did he learn from his experiences? Does that make sense? So we're, we're pulling out these principles of human nature and, and using a character in a book to explore it. And what that does is it might possibly save us or our children or us and our children from going down a similar road, right? We can learn from the mistakes of the characters in the books instead of learning from the mistakes the hard way. So great, great way to ask questions and, and make those ties. Logical fallacies, they're everywhere. I just taught a class mostly to youth. There were some adults in there, but so I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, learning to identify logical fallacies will make them better thinkers and will, they will be less likely be swayed by falsehood because they'll recognize it for what it is. And if we can, if we can teach them like to name, the recognize and name it, then they're going to own it and they're going to be able to have the, you know, the, the intelligence to not fall for some of the crazy ideologies that are out there, right? Um, the, the political landscape, uh, the talking heads, they're full of logical fallacies. And we may get a sense, well, wow, what they said wasn't right. Something wasn't right about that. Like, I think everybody's got that in them. But to be able to identify what it is and name it, very, very powerful for learning how to think. So I'm going to skip the rest of those. And like I said, there's a handout. Because there's a kind of question that's the most important. In a book called The Happiness Hypothesis, um, Jonathan Haidt um, had this metaphor of uh, an elephant, a rider, and a path for the complexity of the human being, okay? So if you think of your child, pick any child and, and that comes to mind, as both the rider and the elephant, okay? The rider is kind of the rational part of them. That's the part you're talking to most of the time, right? It's, it's, the, it's the part of the person who, you know, has goals. It's the part of the person who understands directions, okay? It's the, those are the rational mind, okay? The elephant is the emotional <coughs> mind, okay? The path is the direction, you know, that we lay out as a mentor. So... If you think about yourself or one of your children as that rider and that elephant, there are times when that big fat elephant puts its hind end on the ground, right? So you've given clear instructions and they're understood, the rider understood the clear instruction. You know that the child has all of the mental faculties to do the assignment, to you know finish the the book, the whatever, but their elephant is sitting down. Their emotional state is, I don't want to do this. Actually, you may recognize this in yourself, right? <laughs> you know, 
you know how to eat properly. <laughs> and then your big fat elephant, no <laughs> offense. Because um, obviously I'm not judging anybody up here. You know, sits down and says, I don't care, I'm eating this entire pan of brownies. Right? Your rational mind is going, don't do it. You'll be sick. You know, there will be unwanted pounds on the, on the scale. But your elephant's sitting down and you just don't care, right? So this is, I'm going to say common, especially with teens. You know, you're being a mentor. You're saying, hey, let's make some goals. And they're like, okay, let's make some goals. And then they come back and they're like, yeah, I didn't do them. Okay, because it's next mentor meeting and you're asking for accountability. Last week, you know, you said you wanted to do these things. How did they go? Okay, so we're going to talk about the question, the kinds, kinds of questions that move the elephant. Can you see the power of this even before we go to the next slide? There's, there's, a, there's power in it because human nature is against us succeeding. <laughs> you know, we tend, to, we tend to give in to our human nature just a little bit too quickly. So one of my favorites for, especially when they're complaining about how, um, how you know, whatever didn't, you know, they weren't able to do it. They, there was too much, you know, and then they're complaining, complaining, complaining. My favorite question for the moving the elephant to that kid is how's that working for you? Because then they have to own up to the fact that they have some control over themselves, right? <laughs> and there's actually a chemical change that happens when you require them to own their own stuff they get you'll you'll see it happen they'll get kind of mad like who are you to tell me that me playing you know my xbox until 2 a.m is a bad thing you know, how how dare you <laughs> You know, I'm learning stuff when I'm doing Minecraft. You heard that? Okay. They're, they're obviously defensive, and you just love them, and you just say, how's that working for you? You know, how do you feel today staying up until 2 o'clock in the morning? Right? So you, you get them to own it. You're not being, you know, you're not being condescending. You're just, you're just asking them. And then the, the, the I, I, I use this one quite frequently, especially with, like older, you know, would you like your victim card now? Because that pisses them off, you know? It, it riles them up, and sometimes you have to, because the elephant is sitting down, right? They've given up, and so you challenging them, so are you saying that you don't really want to become a doctor because your, your behavior is not correlating with, with what's required of you if, if that's really your goal? You know, is your education actually worth it? Because I'm giving ownership and I'm challenging them and their chemistry is going to come up and, and, and bite them. So um, that's how you move the elephant. And it's no fun because you want to react and you can't. You know, your natural response is, well, you, you said you would do it. We had an agreement. You signed the contract, you know, whatever it is. Like you want to make, you want to hit their, you want to hit their rider when you need to engage their elephant and make them 
know that they need to defend themselves and then and then they're convincing you how important their education is because you're not owning it and you're not letting them get to you okay so hello parenting is not easy this is not one of those easy moments but it's effective and it puts the education where it belongs because it's not your education it's not your life in the end it all belongs to them so I can't not talk about this one little part of you know part of the curricula here writing and public speaking those are those are my babies those are my passion um, I have probably coached a hundred students in writing and a thousand students in public speaking and the importance of giving our kids opportunity to do those things and raise their level of of communication is so I'm so passionate about it because we need them the world needs them to not just you know be slammed to the ground with all, all manner of false doctrine right all manner of ideologies that are destructive and are you know destroy they're destroying lives and they're also destroying the foundation of our of our society so just my one piece of advice in this because we don't have three more hours um, we might have three more minutes if I'm lucky is is to give them a, an audience whenever possible so when they're little writing a letter to grandma and grandpa when they're older enter into a an essay contest or a speech contest and give them a place where they will of their own free will raise the level of their performance obviously you're coaching you're helping um, them to do that but if they if they learn to express themselves in a way that convinces people you know of truth of light then we've done a tremendous tremendous service to the world and I mean I was telling the youth in the session they're my last hope because I've seen the other youth and they're not standing firm they're not standing up and so the kids in your home you know it's all it's all on on us and finally the power of debriefing if I had my way we would finish my little talk here and I would spend 15 more minutes with you and I would ask you what did you learn how will you change in what ways can you apply what we talked about today and make a difference in your homeschool okay, that's called a debrief and when you ask those questions you have the opportunity well actually you give the opportunity to your students to your children to have an epiphany and own it okay so if we've had I, I probably should explain why there's a car wreck up there um, you could have a debrief about a car accident you could have a debrief about the the family dinner dinner party with the in-laws you know what I mean like you can debrief anything it doesn't have to be in a strict learning environment basically what did we learn from this and how will we do differently next time how will we grow how will we change 
And it is one of the most powerful ways to, to bring out their epiphanies and have them own them. Because when they say the thing that popped into their head, or they say the thing that popped into their head after somebody else shared their epiphany, they don't forget it. It actually sticks with them. Whereas the lesson may be completely lost and, and nobody is, uh, and, and nobody is any, any wiser after it. So if you need more information about that, you can hit me up. But asking questions yourself as a mentor is absolutely essential because it's self-evaluating and it's evaluating where your children are. So when you ask questions like, does she need less in her schedule? Maybe the answer is no, maybe she's fine. But if you ask the question, you're gonna be open to answers that you otherwise wouldn't be. So questioning, you know, how can I find the resources she needs? What would help her understand this concept? What is his next step? Those questions lead you to either seek guidance, find a mentor, you know, seek guidance or know because you're the parent and sometimes you just know what the answer is, right? But if you don't ever ask the question, then it doesn't come to mind and then you can't act on it. So thank you for your late night hot, I mean late afternoon hot attendance. <laughs> I, I recognize it's 100 degrees in here and I'm sorry about that. And I appreciate you coming and, and I hope that there's some things that you can take away and apply Monday. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.